Welcome back for another weekly installment of Last Ones at the Bar. This week, we have another episode full of hot boxing topics of what has been a scintillating summer of boxing events. My name is William Henry, and I'm joined by two other huge boxing fans, enthusiasts, if you will, or guys that have an intense enjoyment for the sweet science, and that is LaVille Jackson and Daniel Lee. How's everything going today, gentlemen? Everything's cool, you know, hot day, you know, uh, some people complain about the heat, but I'm just enjoying the sun, you know, looking out, uh, going outside and smelling the, uh, the barbecue and the burgers, you know, the summertime is here. I need to be where you at, talk about barbecue and burgers on the grill, but yeah, I'm good, it's been a busy day, but I'm glad to be here, you know what I mean, I'm, I'm back at, I guess, homeostasis, so I'm good. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was. That's what I was going to ask you, fellas. Uh, Danny, I don't know if you you experiencing the high temperatures, the, the scorching heat that's here in the uh, Beltway. But how you guys holding up? You have been outside much? You know, with the scorching heat that we've been experiencing for the past few days. I have. It is. It was almost a hundred degrees. What on Thursday or Friday? It's been upper nineties for us mid to upper 90s for the last three, four days. So um, thankfully today it was a breeze, but other than that, I haven't, I'll be getting just enough sun, you know, in terms of what I need and nothing more because it's it's been blazing out there, man. Yeah, down there too, you you by like the ocean, right? So yep. I'm sure it's just like humid and, and, and miserable. Like when I was in Texas, that's what I did not like about areas like Houston and places like that because it's just so muggy you know when it gets hot you know mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i just enjoy the heat you know i mean I, the, the heat that you talk about that you're dealing with that is kind of rough but you know as, as i know you know women can relate to some degree when you come from a cold climate and some heat you're like yeah <laughs> you don't want to deal with that 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 snow and, 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 and ice and all that stuff man that that I was dealing with definitely in, in, in Michigan. So uh, I'm just going, we had it, we, actually even in this area, we had a, a, a particularly uh, prolonged winter. So I'm just happy that it heated up. Kind of skipped spring, but it just went directly into summer. <laughs> that's what it feels like. That's what it feel like, you know, and that's definitely one of the main reasons why I never really want to move back home is because of them cold temperatures, man. It's like, like there, it's like that for real, where you just have, really cold outside, then it kind of gets warmer. Um, and a lot of times, if I don't have to go back for like emergency reasons, I definitely only go up there like when the tulip's coming out, it'll just be too cold, you understand me? Now, as far as this episode is concerned, you know, we've got a lot of topics that we're gonna discuss and we'll get to that. Gotta give you fellas a little softball, but at the same time, you got the NBA action still going on. And, you know, we down to the final four. Um, who do you think, is gonna make it to the title game out of those four teams that's left. Well, when we talked about this earlier, as it stands right now, the two teams that I thought was gonna be in the finals are still intact. And so it's been it's been a few months. So why not double down on what I said back then? I'm still going Heat and Warriors to uh to face each other. Yeah, I don't think I'm not sure if that's what I previously uh predicted, but it definitely seems like it's gonna uh, pan out that way, but for the most part, I think it's Golden State is more a sure shot to go to the finals. Like they're going without a doubt, to, in my opinion. Uh, and it, the the Heat Celtics series 
it seemed like a, a, a even series when I going into it, but it looks like from a mental mentality standpoint that that the Heat is just like they're not intimidated by the Celtics and you know Jimmy Butler is just one of those guys that just don't care what you think about him. So, uh, so that's going to be an interesting series going down the stretch. But I do expect the winner of that that uh, Eastern Conference Finals to take on the Warriors. Yeah, I would think the Warriors uh, definitely have the upper hand. Now, this is definitely a series where Luka just has to do way too much in order to pull it off. And he's going against some vets, you know, guys that have been there and done that, you know, so they have all of the experience in the world. So it's going to be tough for him to overcome those fellas, you know, Draymond, Clay, you know, and Steph. And then they just got a whole bunch of pieces in there that can score. And then you got guys like Looney, who is, you know, he, he, he's he's tough too. You know what I mean? He, he, he plays his role really well. There's just some other guys in there um, that just will make it too tough for the Mavs to get past. So I, I anticipate Golden State winning that series as well. And then the other one is this, it's, it's a toss up because I think the Celtics are way more talented. Um, they have more offensive firepower. Um, they're better you know, collectively, is just you don't know because when you go against the Heat, you're going against that system. You got that Pat Riley system that they have that toughness and, and, and they also have the playoff medal too. You know what I mean? You got guys like Jimmy Butler um, who steps his game up. He's one of the only guys that I've seen. You know, you got dudes like uh, Harden. You got guys like uh, even Kyrie. You know, it's other guys like when the playoffs hit, Sometimes they kind of, their, their level of play, as far as their numbers kind of diminish, but he's one of those guys in a regular season, he may not have the numbers, but then as soon as the playoffs start, then you got playoff Jimmy, you know what I mean? And he's putting on full display and he's uh, helped carry the heat, you know, to two victories out of the three games that they played so far. But I just think the Celtics, I would favor them because they have, like I say, I just think that they have better scores. They have a better overall team, but you just can never count out the heat, you know, in that Pat Riley system, their toughness. Um, and so we shall see. Now, this week we got about, I'll say five or six topics. We're going to cover the David versus David. We got the Buatsi out there and the UK fight. You got uh, Gomez and Coda who was on the, David Benavidez, the mute undercard. You had an old dog who came back, and John Pascal. We're going to discuss his bout, and then um, you had Javante Tank Davis and Rolando Romero. They'll fight next week, and then we also going to talk about TBE Go. He was in action yesterday, and I can't wait to talk about that. But first, we got to start off with the David versus David fight. Yeah, this fight went pretty much just like uh, I expected it to go. David Benavidez was just too big, too strong, and just too much for David Lemieux. And when a, in a fight with two, you know, two guys that, that are both our punchers, you know, normally a person that can better defend himself will win. The one that's the better puncher will win. The one that's fresher will win. It's interesting how they were marketing David Lemieux going to this fight. Like, you know, he was on equal footing as far as a puncher with David Benavidez. When he's a really he's a guy who made a lot of his bones at middleweight and he, he packed more of a punch at middleweight. But going up, you know, it, it's nothing that I saw that believe that, you know, 
he brought his punching power to 168 with him. But coming to this fight, you know, the, 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 right off the bat, the size difference was just, you know, you could just see it. David Benavidez was so much, you know, taller and more filled out than the, the five foot nine David Yu. But, you know, one thing I, I, I respected in this fight, Evan, you came out punching with the bigger guy. You know, he was punching, you know, he was throwing his, you know, his shots. Uh, he tried to, to set up his jab, but Benavidez is just a, a longer guy who, and it's interesting that Benavidez sometimes doesn't get the credit for his boxing ability because in this fight, we saw, I saw some of it on display, especially his defense, where when you would try to throw shots around Benavidez and, and throw sh- shots through the guard, uh, Benavidez employed a high guard that, you know, he was defending himself well against David Mew. And the shots that did go through, they seemed like they just wasn't having an effect. But Benavidez got off, uh, hurt uh, Lemieux pretty bad in, in the end of the first round where I thought the fight was stopped <laughs> right then and there. And I, I thought that was kind of would have been bad for, for uh, Lemieux if the referee would have held that stoppage then because, you know, he basically was saved by the bell. But the second round, Benavidez just went to work and just, you know, continued on and, and put uh, Mew down with a, a quick left uppercut. And Lemieux got up. And it was interesting because he still tried, you know, and to his credit, even though he was he was outgunned. He knew he was outgunned. But his facial expression said he was outgunned. But he at least still tried to, you know, fight Benavidez and, and really try to gain his respect. But the third round, Benavidez sent Lemieux down again. And, and Lemieux got up then third round and Benavidez was able to hurt him. And, you know, he hit him with this shot, which, you know, gained a re- reaction. And the, the corner threw in the towel and the ref stopped the fight. So David Benavidez, he improves to 26-0 and with 23 knockouts. And Lemieux, he falls to 23-5 and with 36 knockouts. Uh, so this, this was a decent performance from ben, Benavidez. I mean, it was pretty much predictable. Uh, but Benavidez did what he had to do. He did it in impressive fashion where, you know, the fans are entertained. It was an entertaining fight. Uh, and he's made, he made his message clear, even though it was with David Lemieux, who, you know, I don't hold as of a high regard at 168, but uh, he did what he had to do. Yeah, first and foremost, I just want to shout out the Mexican monster. You know, that's what Mike Tyson called him. He did, he put a wonderful display on yesterday. I was very impressed with David Benavidez. I like what he did to the, you know, he's fighting somebody who wasn't on his level, especially at that stage, stage of his career. Um, but he did what he was supposed to. And sometimes guys end up, you know, looking past somebody, but he was laser focused in on what he had to do yesterday. So I commend him. You know what I mean? He looked like the best shape I've seen him in since I've been watching David Benavidez. And, you know, as you stated, like the first round, he caught him with that combination. But I was just really impressed with how many times he was shooting that left hand. Boom, 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 boom. He was hitting hard with the same shot over and over. Um, and then, like you said, he dropped him. And then Harvey Dock was almost on the verge of stopping the fight. And, and as you stated before as well, I thought that it was very, I thought he probably was going to do it. He probably should have. Lemieux was like the closest you possibly could be going to, to being considered a knockdown without it actually being a knockdown. Um, you know, also like until the second round, third round, like you said, caught him with the combo, Harvey Dot, you know, with the um, instructions from his corner, called a halt to the fight. I'm glad that they did. Shout out to Lemieux for, you know, going out on the shield. And I just thought that that's all he could do is he has the puncher's chance. And, 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 and what I also wanted to see from David Benavidez was the fact that 
he had to use some of his, his loose, I should say elusiveness, but he was cognizant of the punches coming. So a couple of times when Lemieux would throw the left hand, he'd get out of the way and then come right back with his. But he's one of those dudes who won't smoke. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't care if you got power, he's going to bring it to you. I don't really see him like boxing or anything like that off the back foot. That's just not his cup of tea. Um, he's a come forward type of guy. It's going to take a special person to be able to defeat somebody like David uh, Benavidez. Um, he said that he wants to be back in November. And what I see is the names that I, I think that he probably will fight is going to be the David Morrell, Caleb Plant, or Jamal Charlo. I think that it's more likely that he'll fight David Morrell. Um, last thing I'm going to say, or last two things I'm going to say is this, is that the punch stats. So he landed uh, 74 out of 151 punches. That was 49%. Ratio, 16 jabs, and then Lemieux landed 26 out of 109 punches at a 24% clip, and he landed only two jabs. What I was also most impressed with with David Benavidez is his jab, the accuracy, the mental toughness. And like I said, he's going to be tough to beat. So shout out to both guys, Lemieux showing the heart, and then David Benavidez showing those top 10 pound-for-pound skills. Yeah, I'll start out by giving Lemieux his credit. You know, he was game, and honestly – he lasted longer than I thought he would after he got rocked in the first. But to me, this it was similar to Zerto and Boisel in that, you know, they simply did what they needed to do with the person that the sanctioned body put in front of them to put themselves in a better position for a title shot. You know what I mean? Um, not really anything innovative to add to what you guys said as it was a two-and-a-half-round fight. But, you know, I didn't really learn anything new about either fighter I'm not sure what Lemieux would decide to do from here as he is 33 and has been in some wars and I'm not sure he can make middleweight again, but, you know, Benavidez caught out the names that he was supposed to and this puts him in line for a Canelo shot, you know, with the interim championship, but we don't know what will happen with that since Canelo just finished fight one of a three fight deal. And so he is in theory busy until around this time next year. So, I don't know if he's going to just decide to vacate or and fight Benavidez on his own terms or what. But to Benavidez's point, he looked really good. He came in in shape. He took this fight very seriously. And after, you know, the way he started his career, I'm happy to see him at 25 seem to be more focused. And, you know, I wish the best for him. He's an exciting fighter, one of the best at super middleweight. So um, good on him and respect to both fighters. You guys have anything else? Only thing I say is it, 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 his camp is under the impression that they are not going to get the Canelo fight, and they're not even really concerned about facing him anytime in their future because they just feel like where Canelo is right now, his focus is on other things, and it wouldn't be beneficial at this particular moment to face somebody like David Benavidez. So the name that they're throwing out, you know, they, they're even asking people to stop even mentioning Canelo because – they don't anticipate him taking that match. Now, uh, Bill, do you have anything before I get to these uh, questions? <laughs> no, sir. Yeah, so you know how we like to do in situations like this where you got a high-profile guy, somebody that's being talked about um, in boxing, you know, his name is ringing bells right now, and that's David Benavidez. I, I got five questions for you, fellas. First question is, do you think he's uh, the best at 168 right now? No, I think Canelo is the best at 168 right now. I would say he is the second best at worst. Um, I could see him giving Canelo problems, 
for sure. And I could see him beating Canelo. So, you know what, just for a little spice, I'm going to say I think he is. Yeah, man, I think that Canelo really, I, I appreciate what he did as far as like cleaning out that division with the Smiths, with the um, Plants, and then with the Billy Joe Saunders, you know, and whatnot. I always thought that Benavidez was the best of the crop at 168. Even when we started this off, I thought at the at the time that I saw those guys, I thought it was about far. But when I started seeing those guys more, I knew that it was much closer, especially him and certain matchups that may be difficult. Um, but I still do think that out of those guys, he was the best of those four. Um, and so it's only time will tell if Canelo gives him the shot that who's going to be the best. You know, right now it's hard to determine. But what I will say is this: is that he's going to give Canelo some trouble. It's just a matter of Canelo. Um, at certain points, the trouble that he's that he's gonna be getting in dealing with Canelo, can he handle that? But he's gonna give Canelo because he's gonna, he's accurate and he's powerful and he's pretty quick and he has the know-how. He's been in that ring since he was like a little pup. You know what I mean? So he knows the nuances of the game. And I think the most important things about him, like I said, is the accuracy. But it's that mentality, man. Like he, you gonna have to beat him. You know, he's not going to be afraid of anything. He's going to be coming at you. He thinks he's supposed to win. And those type of fighters are very difficult to beat. Now, that was my next question. And so you guys kind of answered it to a certain degree, but then you didn't. So does, at this particular moment, if they fought, does he beat Kano? Oh, yeah, yeah. you didn't answer the first question, though. Uh, is he the best at 168? You said I didn't? Yeah, you didn't ask. I, I don't know. I, it's just really hard to tell. I, see I think it's a 50-50 because what he brings to the table is going to be very difficult for – I would lean towards him a little bit just based on experience, but it, it'll be like split hairs because what he does, I've never seen Canelo face somebody like that, but at the same time, there is some openings there that if Canelo gets off and connects, will he be able to take those punches and how long will he be able to take those punches so that's going to always be the dilemma. I just have to see it. And what I like about the kid is the fact that the kid wants to fight. He, he's pushing for the fight. He, you know, he, he's uh, very vocal about it. But like I say right now, it just seems like his camp is under the impression that they're not going to get the fight. So why talk about it from their standpoint? But I like to talk about it because I want to see it. You know what I mean? Right. So again, that goes to the question. Hopefully I answered your question. I think it was a 50-50 fight, yeah, yeah. but I will lean towards Canelo. Who do you think will win that fight if they actually um, – yeah, I think that's a troubling fight for Canelo also based off of Benavidez is, you know, tenacity and that he is that much, you know, bigger, you know, could be stronger, longer than Canelo. And he he does move a little bit. He's not like a person just going to stand in front of you. And, and even though he can do that, he doesn't just, he, he can box too. He has boxing ability and boxing skill. So I can see that some trouble that he presents Canelo. Uh it's just that with Canelo, when I look, when I look at Canelo, he's someone who's seen it all on a high level. And um, when you look at the people who who troubled Canelo, most of them are, you know, very highly skilled boxers. You know, you know, you had the, the, the Floyd Mayweather's and Aaron Slotty and Laras who moved around. Then you have uh, the Bivo who, you know, pretty much also moves moves around a lot around the ring, you know, and, and didn't really get Canelo time to really set. And Benavidez is going to, I think Benavidez will give Canelo more opportunity to use his power. So, um, and, and the problem with this, 
with this fight is if it was to happen is that if Benavidez think that Canelo is any more softer because of his fight with Bivol, he, he'll probably get a rude awakening that not saying that you know Canelo would just manhandle him, but those he I think Benavidez is gonna feel them punches, you know. So I still have Canelo edging this fight based off style and what I've seen from Canelo. Um, and I, ha- I haven't seen – from Benavides, I can only go off eye test. Um, and I-, I can't even go off, like, things he's done at different weight classes or anything like that. Like, I could do Canelo, you know. Benavides is a real deal. But based off what I see from Canelo, I can't pick against Canelo. I will attempt to play devil's advocate. and But before that, I'll give the caveat – it depends on how defensively responsible Benavidez is in that fight. That is going to be the determining factor to me. We also don't know where Canelo is going to be mentally after the Bebo fight. I don't think he's going to be weaker mentally. I just don't know how much stronger he'll be mentally. Another thing about Canelo is what he's shown me over the course of the last, I'll say, two, three years fighting the elite competition is I don't think his stamina is going to get much better. Like, I I don't. And he's given up rounds to rely on his power. And so that's why I think that Benavidez, his defensive responsibility, where it comes into place. Bevo was defensively responsible. And so Canelo was trying to get into the body, and he was unsuccessful because Bevo was blocking those. If Benavidez gets caught, then he's going to make those deposits. He is in Canelo. He's going to make those deposits to the body, and it's going to be a long night for Benavidez. But Benavidez has a better motor, in my opinion, and a higher work rate. And so I think that if he can generate enough offense to trouble Canelo and keep Canelo off of him, it is possible that he could win a decision. I don't know if he'll get a knockout because Canelo just has a chin, but it's another 50 50 thing. It's a, it's a lot of ifs in there, but I think he has a real shot of beating them. Yeah, first thing I was going to say, just to um, give a few thoughts on what you fellas said, is that I, I don't think real Benavidez would think Canelo would be easier now since the Bill fight. And the reason why I say that is because of how serious he took Lemieux. Like, if he was going to really like, have his guard down in the face of somebody like right right now he's look like he's laser focused to me he may be the a guy if he starts to collect belts and, and have certain goals accomplished and things like that that's when I would worry about him because I think that that's what happened to him before like once he got those other belts that he kind of relaxed a little bit and he kind of like starts celebrating a little bit too early. And, you know, that's when he kind of lost focus. Right now, he has, like, a, a, he, he's very locked in on what it is he's trying to do. And I don't, I don't even know if that's going to happen if he collects more belts. I'm not sure. I'm just saying, like, that seemed like that was the pattern that happened the other two times when he collected the belts at 168 and he lost them outside of the ring. So that would be what I would be concerned about slightly. But the way he's talking, he's saying all the right things. And it seems like he means what he says. So I had to take him for his word. Now, I think Canelo isn't going to have, like psychologically, I don't think he's going to be damaged after the Bivol loss. But I think what he's going to have to do is he's going to have to refigure how he's going to approach 
fighters that he's going to face in the future, upper echelon guys, especially if he stays at 175, or if he's fighting just quality opponents, because he fell into that, Danny. And I think when I mentioned this before, I said that Canelo was facing guys previously who had certain issues. That helped him with the strategy that he tried to implement, where he was just take, you know, coming in, landing those hard shots. Some guys would be hitting their arms and stuff like that, breaking them down, or just hitting them somewhere. And then eventually, towards the middle part of the fight, they'll fade, and then that's when he'll come on. And so that didn't work against Bivol because Bivol kept that solid defense, and he was able to, you know, absorb some of those punches without like it really depleting him. And so I think that that's psychologically is where he's going to have to like reconfigure what it is I'm going to do against those upper echelon or bigger guys because he can't do that against everybody. He fell in love with that because then I think by him falling in love with it, that he ended up thinking that he got overconfident. And I think that that's something that he'll tweak moving forward um, against other guys. Now, will that play a factor in him slowing down more? You know what I mean? Because he's going to have to keep up a more higher work rate. And so will that even contribute to him getting more and more fatigue moving forward than he did before? Because he was kind of coasting early in some of those other fights. But we shall see. The next question that I have for you guys out of the three guys that I mentioned, as far as his likely opponents in November, which is Morel, Charlo, or Quinn, who do you think has the best chance of defeating Benavidez out of those three? Yeah, that's a that's a difficult one between Charlo and Morel. Because I like what I see from Morel, he just doesn't have the experience. But I think Morel is a problem. If Charlo was at 168 currently, I would say Charlo. But he's really a middleweight that would be moving up. So I, he, so really, he's a smaller guy who, who hasn't really mastered 160. Like we haven't seen him against the upper echelon of 160, and it's, and some of it may not even be too too far of his own. But moving up to 168, he's jumped from 160 facing this a particular type of competition to moving up to 168 facing a David Benavidez, which uh, will be his will actually be his biggest fight, you know, versus you know his brother, Jamel, who ha who's had more of these fights than he's had. So even though Jamel, Jamal Charlo has a particular style that I think would serve well against Benavidez because, he, you know, he's a strong guy. He has great boxing fundamentals. He's moving up one to fight a bigger guy. And he, he hasn't fought that weight class before. And he hasn't had those big fights. This will be his biggest fight. So, I mean, who knows? Uh, but Morel, I, Morel also hasn't had those fights neither, but at least he's, a, he's actually an active 168-pounder who is pretty much the same size as Benavidez. Uh, and he has a, a pretty solid amateur pedigree. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't like Charlo's chances in that fight, and I'll tell you why. On top of what you named, Vel, you know how, Will, you can probably relate to this, right? So you know, as a hooper, you know how, like, you go to the gym at different times a day, you have different levels of competition, right? So say you're one of like the big fish in a little pond, you might come that time of day where you're like the all-star, like you're first picking everything. And, you know, you're avoiding like the, the guys who might've played overseas and who are probably better than you where you would be kind of average. And so if you continue to play and be that big fish in a little pond, 
your, your growth is going to be stunning. And I feel like because Charlo, he's been fighting lackluster competition, even if he can, you know, has another level, his growth has been stunted as a fighter because he's been content fighting this level of competition so long. And so to go from a Suleki straight into a Benavidez fight, that's not going to bode well from him, especially moving up. I think that Plant, as good as a fighter that he is, I think that he is someone who has maximized his abilities and will continue to maximize his abilities, but his maximum abilities just aren't as good as Benavidez's maximum abilities. And then, like you said about Morrell, I just don't think he has the experience yet. And so of those three, I might give Plant the edge because of his grit and because of experience, but I think Benavidez would beat him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I like the analogy that you gave. The only thing I'm going to say is this, is that, you know, every time I played, I always was a big dog. You know what I'm saying? So I, I know what you mean as far as other dudes. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, as far as these three, I think it just depends on what we consider the toughest fight. Because I think they'll all be tough up to a point. You know what I mean? I think Charlo will be tough until he gets it kind of beaten out of him because he's fighting a bigger guy. What's coming is, is, is huge, 168 pounds. And Charlo, to me, was a guy who's used to having physical advantages primarily in all of his fights. And so you're going up against your toughest opponent, guys who was very accurate, big, touching you. And I think that he'll be tough for a while. I don't know how long he will be tough, but I just think David would beat that out of him. Just, you know, sure, attrition is going to wear him out. It will be tough for a while, though. Plant, I think, he, he's always going to be a tough dude in front, like, until, like, the seventh round. And then it's just a matter of if he's going to be able to maneuver around enough to not get stopped from that, like, eighth through 12 area. But I think he'll be up. So that would be tough up to that point. And then Morrell, I think it just depends on if he can sustain what it is that he's doing because he's going to be tough too. He has all the skills in the world, but you've only been fighting like six rounds, seven rounds. And then if the times that you've gone further, it's been against way less um, in skill as far as the guys that you face. Now, I think he's a tremendous fighter. I think that they might be putting him on a fast track a little bit too early to face somebody like Benavidez. Uh, he's more so he should try to get the fight with the knockout guy, um, Berlinga, as opposed to Benavidez. But, you know, there's only one way to find out. Some of these young, young dogs, they want, you know, to show that they are special, you know what I mean? And that they can handle things like that, you know, so early. I would, I would advise against it, but I think that they all will be kind of tough up to a certain point. Now, I do have two other questions, but I just want to know, like, will this take too long? If not, I mean, we can keep going now. So you, I do think it's gonna to take too long. <laughs> okay, okay. So if so, we'll move on to about out there in the UK. It was a domestic clash between Joshua Bulatsi and Craig Richards. I know one of you guys wanted to touch uh, on this topic. So what did you see? I touched on it a little bit. So uh, this was a competitive fight, but pretty straightforward in terms of who the winner was. I felt like the story of the fight was that Buatsi was simply the more explosive fighter, but the least disciplined. But Richards 
you know, was disciplined and trying to work behind his jab, but they just weren't having enough of an impact. And so throughout the fight, Boatsy seemed kind of out of control when he threw some of his combos and he didn't really use the jab enough to me until the later rounds, but his combos were getting through and it was winning him rounds. He just wasn't super defensively responsible, but throughout the fight, Richards just couldn't really impose his will. Like in round one, Richards was landing, but they just didn't have a lot of pop. It didn't, I don't know if he just wasn't sitting down on him or what, but Boatsy, you know, he started out in control. He was going for broke at some spots, but he just was finding the most success, you know, and some of that made for hard rounds to score because it came down to, do you want to give it to Richards for trying to be disciplined and, you know, being effective for half the round, or do you want to give it to Boatsy for putting together some solid combos that looked more damaging than all the work that Richards had done, even though it wasn't for as long as a time period, you know? And so there were a few rounds where that was the case. I won't belabor, but I personally scored it 117 to 111. The judges themselves, they scored it, two of them scored it 115 to 113, and one of them scored it 116 to 112. So Boatsy won by unanimous decision. And I thought he looked good. I, I do think he has some things to work on it, mostly his defense. I think the discipline on offense will come and he'll settle down more quickly and learn to work behind jabs. But I will be interested to see him against a world-class fighter, you know, because this was sort of a domestic fight and Richards has had world-class experience. You know, he lost to Bivol. And so I think at this point, we're ready to see Boatsy tested against someone at that world-class level at 175. Did you guys have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I do. I, I, you know, it was one of those great days of boxing. You know, you had this fight going on. I think it's kind of started it off for me. I came back from Trader Joe's, you know, um, went down to Crafty Craft for a second, you know, and then I came on up, you know, and then I, I, I turned on the, the booth and I see Craig Richards and uh, Joshua Buatsi, you know, about to enter the ring. You know, they said that these guys live real close together um, in the area of the UK. So it made for a pretty good domestic showdown. And definitely for Buatsi, this was not a walk in the park. Buatsi to me looks like a big Richard Comey. You know, they, they're, they're very similar um, as far as what they like to do. Uh, when I, as I'm watching the fight, Buatsi was throwing a lot, of, a lot of those power shots. He was winging a lot of power shots and he was missing a lot. And, you know, when you be missing, so much and as muscular as he is, it kind of like drains you, you know, when you miss so much. Because he's really woeful when it comes to his accuracy. And like I say, in, in the latter part of the fight, I think that that's what contributed to his fatigue. Um, and like you said, then I think the biggest thing in this fight was the fact that Boazzi was more explosive, you know, much more explosive. When he touched, you know, Richards, he had an impact. You can hear the shots, you know, and then a couple of times he heard him and had him, you know, stiff leg. And then Richards, he was more skilled, but he just liked, liked that snap, you know, to cause much damage. Now, he did hurt him in like the eighth round, but he just didn't have enough to get him out of there. He just don't have that. That's not what he's known for. That's not what he does. Like, he's a, a guy, 
you're going to have to bring a lot to the table. You're going to know you're in a fight fighting Richards, but sometimes he just doesn't have that one gear that's going to put him over the top. And I think that that's what we saw yesterday. Um, to me, if Richards had just a little bit more, he was just a little bit more heavier handed, I think he would have won this fight, um, to be honest with you. And Watson, he had um, come, came in on a 10 fight, like knockout streak. And he hadn't gone past seven rounds ever. You know what I mean? You know, going into this one, I don't think, I think that's, that's what they said. But I do know he was on a 10 fight win streak. So it was, it showed a lot of heart and a lot of goal from Richards because he had a lot of rocky moments in that fight, but he hung in there. You know what I mean? He's another fighter that showed a lot of heart. And, you know, it was a close fight. I think it probably would have, could have been like 116, 114 ish, 115, 113, maybe three rounds. Um, Watson, it just depends on how you score it. You know, I just think that in professional boxing, when you have a guy who's like landing the heavier shots, I kind of give them the nod over a guy who maybe landed just a slightly little bit more or a little bit more accurate, but they are eating some shots too. They eat heavy shots. So that's the reason why I was giving it to Watson, but I can see it being you know, about two rounds um, between, but I do think Bawasi won. Now, the thing is this, after the fight, Bawasi started talking about when his press conference that he wants, you know, the big boys, you know what I mean? He wants, he wants like the champions next. And I think that they might have pumped their brakes um, um, and get at least two more fights in before you take on a B-ball, you take on a better B, you take on, um, Gilberto Ramirez. He, I don't think he's ready for that just yet, but what he should seek out two more fights, I will look for these three guys. I will look for like a Lyndon Arthur. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll probably try to go for that next. And then he might want to show down with Anthony Yard. You know what I mean? And then maybe get somebody like Calvin Smith. He's not ready for Calvin Smith now. Calvin Smith would eat him alive right now. But give him two more fights, build up his confidence. And then that's when you go ahead and see what you have. Or, you know, if you kind of skeptical and you think that he is not what um, he's not really ever going to be what we think he's going to be, then you might just want to throw him in there to see, you know, really find out against a B-ball or better B. But I just think better B, but oof, it, it wouldn't end well um, there. Now, last thing I do want to say is this. What, for me, when I saw Bawatsi yesterday, I like guys who are gracious in victory and gracious in defeat. I just thought he was just a little too gracious after the fight when he got on his knees and was kind of like, you know, he was showing like he was worshiping Richards, you know, to a certain degree. I don't like that. You know what I mean? You won the fight, you know what I mean? And, and, and what I think that you should do afterwards is, and I, it could be just a cultural thing. I don't know. I just don't like that in a fighter because I think other fighters are going to look at that and see a weakness in you when you do that, those sort of things. But all in all, you know, he got the victory, he got the nod, and, uh, and a good domestic showdown yesterday in the UK. Speaking of light heavyweights, we had another name we hadn't seen in a while for reasons we'll probably get into, but John Pascal returned and he fought Fan Long Mong. I understand you saw that, Bill. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, it was interesting because I've been a fan of, of Jean Pascal for many, many years, probably over probably over 10 years. So seeing the, the, the stuff that was going on with him in the last few years, it was kind of like, you know, it's like watching your heroes fall. You're like, man. But watching him come back, you know, it was interesting against 
uh, Fan Long Mong, who Fan Long Mong was un, is, he came to his fight undefeated, seventeen and zero, ten knockouts, but he he hadn't had any uh, fights to 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 really you know put his name out there, and it, this was supposed to be his you know this his showcase fight to show that I belong on on I, I am moving towards the top. So uh, Jean Pascal, Pascal uh, you know, thirty five and six and, and one. Uh, no, he's 35 and six with 20 knockouts. Uh, of course, he has, a, you know, he's been in the ring with who's who of, of you know, light heavyweight and actually 168 uh, with his two fights with the Crusher and his two fights with Bernard Hopkins. Um, but in the, when this fight started, he basically was himself, you know, you know, he, he was always, you know, wow. It's just that sometimes fighters, they don't know what to do with that. You know that wildness, even though he's pretty predictable in what he's going to do. But going, to, but the first you know round or two, uh, it went how I thought it probably would have was going to go, where Mar was you know using his, his, his superior height and and, and reach uh, and throwing some th- those those long straight hands at at John Pascal and uh, popped him a few times in the in the first round, uh, stunned him pretty pretty much in the second round, had him kind of hurt and Pascal was trying to, you know, get his rhythm going and get his awkwardness, you know, punches going. And he was looking for those counters. Uh, one thing that Pascal did early that I did like was he was, he started off trying to go to the body. Uh, and while he may not have been successful at the time that he started, I was like, okay, he has the right mindset now because if he go, he start going to that body, you know, and start working, uh, fell on me, mom's body. I think it's going to pay dividends down the stretch. So, uh, it was, a, it was a weird exchange that happened in round four where Pascal kind of pushed Mong down uh, and it was causing a push, but uh, you couldn't tell Pascal nothing. You know, as soon as Mong got up, Pascal jumped on him and I liked that from him because that's what kind of, the momentum kind of changed, changed in that fight when that happened where Pascal started to make Mong very, very uncomfortable. Uh, and even before, you know, the fight totally shifted, uh, the, the corner of Mong was basically, they saw it before anybody else saw it. And, and the corner of Mong was like, hey, look, man, this guy's coming up. You, you're going to need to step it up and, and do what you need to do. Um, but Pascal, you know, uh, he, was, he was still going out there trying to, to, to come at Mong and try to get, get his rhythm down. Um, and, and, and he was still getting caught with some of those lefts. But I like that he was catching... Uh, he was using his right hand to, to catch Mong with, with, with counters that was getting Mong's attention. Um, but then, in, I think in the seventh, he just woke up. Pascal woke up and just really put it on Mong. Uh, had Mong looking very, very uncomfortable. And I think that's when the fight totally shifted in Pascal's favor, where uh, Pascal was starting to, his confidence starting to grow. His timing was starting to come back. Uh, and then ninth round, he put uh, Mong down uh, with, the, with the right hand right hand combo i think it was the right left combo that that caught Mong. you know and that was all she wrote as soon as Mong got up you know pascal pretty much took over uh he hurt Mong really really bad in the 12th round and i think that sealed the deal for for pascal uh i scored the fight uh 115 to 112 um and then 112 was based off that knockdown in, in round nine um but i don't have this i wouldn't have an issue with this fight probably be a score to draw, but I don't think that Mong done, did enough in the second half 
to, 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 to win this fight. So it was a very close fight, but it was a very good performance by Jean Pascal where he showed that, you know, he's still in this. Uh, he's still exciting. You know, he was confident. He was doing push-ups in the, in the, in the, uh, in the ring after the fight, taking a page out of uh, what Bernard Hopkins did to him. And one thing I got to mention also is, is whoever's idea was to put, you know, uh, Roy Jones, Antonio Tarver, and uh, Paulie Malignaggi uh, in the commentary booths is, <laughs> They're genius, man. That was, you know, uh, interesting, entertaining uh, combo to see together. Um, but good performance by Jean Pascal. Um, we'll see what he does from here. Hopefully that, you know, there is no controversy with this fight or with any type of testing that has to do with this fight. Because I don't want to ruin, you know, uh, my respect for Jean Pascal that I, I had lost over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tremendous performance, man. Vail, I just got a couple of questions for you, son. Yes, sir. Who's the yeah. best? Who's the best heavyweight in the game right now? Uh, it's hard to say since Tyson Fury is retired. You have well, let's uh, let's say for instance, uh, Tyson Fury wasn't retired. It'll probably be Tyson Fury. I mean, he who was before Canelo lost to Bivol? Uh, who was the number one pound for pound fighter in the world? Canelo Alvarez. Canelo. Okay. And did Tyson Fury, did you lose respect for him in 2017 when he was being banned, a backdated ban that he had for testing positive for steroid? Did you lose respect for him, sir? Honestly, I didn't even know about it until you brought it up. Like that time months ago when it was brought up. I would, I didn't follow him like that. Like I'm not, even though I watched Tyson Fury, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't see, I didn't, I'm not, I didn't follow him from the start of his career like I, I did Jean Pascal. I remember when Jean Pascal had an ad in the Ring magazine as an upcoming fighter. And he's from Lavelle, Quebec, which is like my name, you know what I'm saying? Like Jean Pascal was somebody I identified with, you know. I'm just asking, sir. Yes or no? Did you, when you found out about Tyson Fury, did you lose respect for him, sir? I lost respect for Tyson Fury because of that. And I lost respect for him just because him being overweight outside of fights. You know what I'm saying? I lost respect for him from doing that too, for a whole bunch of stuff. It's not the question, sir. It's not like muffled. I'm just asking. It's no, you know, not a trick question. No, Tyson Fury's not my hero like Jean Pascal was. That's all I'm asking, sir. I am not asking. Not my hero, man. Okay. All right. And then, you know, like I said with um, Canelo, you had him as, you know, Consists as number one pound for pound fighter. You know, you have guys like um, Billy Joe Saunders, you know, Alexander Povetkin, you know, Saddam Ali, Julio Cesar, uh, Chavez Jr., you know, I mean, all of those guys, you know what I mean? And to me, Pascal, he did something he wasn't supposed to, right? Um, and I think that people who are not necessarily accused, but found to have used banned substances. I think there should be stiff penalties, but at the same time, he served as punishment. And to me, what I saw from him the other day, it didn't look like he was on anything, like based on what I saw, he could have been, I don't know. And we'll just have to wait and see what the results say, but I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't mention anything like that um, because like I said, he served his punishment for the crimes that he committed previously. Now, in this fight, I was, uh, the first and foremost, it was good to see Antonio Tarver and Roy Jones being able to comment 
or commentate on the game, on the fight, you know, as well as Paul, Paul Malamaji, they have invested into Pro TV and they're trying to get people to subscribe to their app. It's a, a boxing app, like all day, 24 hours, like an ESPN. And so it's a really low price app that's like $1.99, at least it was on Friday. And so um, I would encourage people, which is like really big boxing fans to go there because you can get like interviews and things like that. You know, they constantly talk about boxing. So kudos to them. And this was their first show that they put on with Philon Mung and John Pascal. Now, what I saw the other day is Mung, he was using that range, you know, he was controlling distance. And he he was doing that up until the middle of the fight. But he he's really solid, you know, and I think that one of the commentators mentioned that he has a judicial judicious punch selection, you know what I mean? Where he has different types of punches that he can throw, but mainly setting you up with a jab and then timing you for the left hand. And when I noticed early on with Pascal is that he still looked pretty athletic for someone who's 39 years of age, but he was very rusty and early in the fight. And uh, Mung was working with that jab, straight counters, and um, he was very disciplined, you know what I mean? And so I won't go into the fight, you know, like you did because you broke it down uh, pretty impressively. But I was impressed with John Pascal. You mentioned the fact that he, his wildness. I think that over the years he's been able to harness that wildness into a good style for him. And what I saw coming out of this fight, like I said, I was very impressed uh, with his heart, determination. He has the heart of a champion. John Pascal is one of those guys. He's he's like a Lemieux, but more skilled than Lemieux, where you just want to beat the dude. And Avides has that mentality. He just hasn't got up there in age just yet. But I like those guys who have that dog in them, where he was kind of outdone early and he was trying to, you know, pick up the pieces and, and, and get the ring rust off and everything. But he wasn't going to go out without going out on the shield. Like, mom was going to have to definitely knock him out in order to get this victory or you know he could have won on the scorecards but i'm saying like he's just going to keep coming and he has this sneaky like left hand that he sh shoots from all angles like it's, it's weird he's a tough he's going to be what i would say dangerous for anybody because he's going to be shooting those shots from weird and he has powerful weird angles like it's really crazy how he's trying to set you up each and every step of the way and like i say he's going to be dangerous for anybody sneaking those powerful hooks those wild shots, and just like I say, from those unorthodox angles. It's interesting to see where he's gonna go from here because you have the, the 175 pound weight class is very stacked. You know what I mean? Like that's a really stacked weight class. And I just hope that he gets another opportunity at a world title. And I hope that he's able to make some good money. But I also hope that it comes a time soon that he recognized that he's not, I don't know. I just think that things may not end. I don't want him to be like um, Superman Stevens because he, he just has that fighter mentality. Somebody's going to have to sit him down. He did a good job the other day, but once you get up there, you face a dude like B-Ball, not B-Ball, but uh, Better Beef and people like that who has some tremendous power, then he has that never-say-die attitude. That may not end well for him, but shout out to him for having, having such tremendous heart and fighting through some rocky moments to get the 12 round now.
So now, what we're going to do is we're going to go to um, a young up-and-coming power puncher. Uh, his name is Jovis Gomez. He was taking on uh, Wiley veteran Jorge Cota um, in an undercard fight on the David Benavidez versus uh, David Lemieux undercard. Uh, what did you guys think about the young whippersnapper? Well, it was interesting that that up to this point, all of his fights, they, they, he, he knocked Gomez and pretty much knocked everyone out at this point uh in this fight uh ends up going a distance but it was it was an odd fight to go a distance uh and you know Evans Gomez uh exciting fighter but he kind of reminds me of, of a uh his style of a he's like a better version of Ricardo Ricardo Mayorga you know he, he does use his jab more than Mayorga does but you know some of the fights you know some of the things especially he did in this fight he was trying to really get Coda out of there and he was so he was smothering, he was so wild and smothering his own punches that uh, he was give, he was actually giving Coda too much, you know, you know, room to 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 stay in there with him. I mean, he had Coda hurt, like I, I think in the third round, I think fourth round, the seventh round. I, I think he might have been hurt in the last round, also. I've never seen someone hurt so many times in the fight and not get got out of there. I mean, I guess Coda, you know, showed some whiskers on him, but. I think Gomez, you know, he, he smothered himself a lot, but I, I do like his personality. And also taking on a, a veteran like, you know, Coda, who's, you know, pretty much been around a little bit more than Gomez uh, in, in Gomez's, what, sixth fight. Uh, I think that part of it is, is, is impressive because uh, Gomez, he proved the six and no with five knockouts. And, you know, Jorge Coda falls to 30 and six with 27 knockouts. Um, but I think... Um, Gomez, he still has some some room to improve. Uh, this was a limit test, a limit test, kind of. You know, we see that he can't, you know, compete with uh, a particular level of fighter because Coda has been in, in there with someone like, you know, a Sebastian Fedora. But at the same time, I, I think it, it did expose that, you know, he does, you know, look for that KO a little bit too much where it can, it can become, you know, problematic when he doesn't get the, the, the knockout especially when it comes with someone who's going to box him uh, but it was an exciting fight to watch exciting performance from the up-and-coming uh Yoelvis Gomez and we'll see what, what he does in the future you know man I, I just said a few things because it, it really wasn't uh, much to talk about but what I will say is this is that uh Gomez, Gomez at 6-0 now with 5k was 24 years of age that's a good fight to put him in fast track into a certain degree against somebody that they thought he'll be too quick for maybe a little bit past it where you can blast him out because Coda's only lost to really what you would consider kind of like the creme de la creme ish type guys uh at 154 at least title contender type dudes for dudes who held belts previously so his losses have been against Lubin, Fedora, Charlo, um Marco Antonio Rubio and then Jason Rosario. All of the other guys, with the exception of Rosario, knocked him out. And Charlo and Lubin knocked him out pretty much cold. And then Fondor was just beating him, beating him down. Um, and then Marco Antonio Rubio, he actually knocked him out in the seventh round. Like that was the first time that he was KO. It was a pretty decent fight, but Marco Antonio Rubio just too much of a surgeon you know at that time and 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 uh, Coda was on the come up saying that to say that he's in pretty good company by you know getting a victory over somebody like that especially at this early stage of his career 
because in this fight, he went more rounds than he did in his previous five fights combined. So shout out to him for taking on a pretty stiff challenge for somebody who's that, you know, um, early in, in, in their career. And so I think that he still has a lot to work on because he's just so eager and anxious to try to get Coda out of there. And it would be more effective if he's able to learn different pathways to get his power off. Because he is powerful, he's very strong, he's uh, pretty athletic, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, understanding the nuances of the game and not being so gung-ho. Because Coda, you know, unlike the other fights, this, now, some of the guys got Coda out of there, but this was the least competitive I've seen Coda against anybody that I've seen lose to. Because in those other fights, he was giving Charlo a little bit of trouble, maybe round one and round two, and then Charlo clipped him, and then Lubin, he may have been losing the first four rounds. And, and Danny, we were at that fight where he ended up catching him on the ropes, and then he got him out of there uh, with the, you know, one of those Lubin love hands. And so, um, but in this fight, he was very defensive. You know what I mean? He might have had one little moment, but outside of that, it was all Gomez. And, you know, shout out to him. And I look forward to seeing where he goes from here. If he's 24, I don't know. You know, those Cubans be like 39. You know what I'm saying? They'd be trying to be lying on them uh, birth certificates. So, but we shall see. You know, a Cuban 39 is most people's 28s. You know what I mean? So, We'll see where it goes from there. So go. Wait, wait. So, so how old you think uh, Gomez is? I'm exaggerating, but it, he may be a little older than 24 because typically that's how those Cubans do. No, I know, I know what you're saying. I just want how old do you really think he is? You know, like there's been some talk about how old people think Louis Ortiz actually is. <laughs> Louis Ortiz. So, uh, 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 Lou Rigo. He's looking at Rigo from the wrong angle. He'd be like, man, see a citizen right there. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know, man. It's hard to tell. Maybe four or five years older, you know. Even a dude that's that's training with with um with Kanoa, the flash. The flash be looking a little longer than two, too. But he just <laughs> he stays so athletic, you know, it's hard to like the athleticism doesn't match the physical features, like their facial features, I should say. Hey, they, they say if Beyonce can do it, they can do it too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, shout out to him. You know what I mean? He did what he had to do. And it's just surprising. You know what I mean? Like somebody that's 5-0, and oh, the fast track of that quick against a Jorge Cota, you know, that's another reason why I'm thinking of like, he's older than he really is. True. So last but not least, we have entrepreneur, promoter, fighter, you know what I mean, commentator, the person that held a sign in between the ring, all of that in one. We had Floyd Mayweather Jr. He was back in action in Dubai. It was an exhibition match against his former sparring partner, Don Moore. Will, I understand you saw that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the GOAT yesterday. I saw TVE, the best ever to do it, the best that's going to do it. You know, most others try, but none of them come close to it. Floyd Money, Money Mayweather was out there in Dubai, you know, against Dangerous Don Moore. And like you said, Danny, he did everything that you possibly could do in a fight. And I mean everything. He boxed, he stalked, he entertained, he showboated, he commentated, he held up the ring card for the ring card girl. He was in his point, opponent's corner giving instructions. Oh, he even made the in-fight suggestion uh, to Dangerous Don. And most importantly, man, is this. To me, yesterday, Floyd Money made with a show why he's a billion dollar athlete. You know what I mean? The, the show that he put on yesterday, whether it, whatever you think about 
this fight, the main event, it still was entertaining. You know what I mean? You got a lot of people who are putting out different messages, different tweets, different Instagram posts about some of the things that they were impressed with or some of the things that they enjoyed about it. And that's what you want. And other fighters can take from this and not necessarily implement that into an actual fight. You know what I mean? A professional fight that is a 12 rounder, if you will. But you can take bits and pieces of it to be able to understand what do I need to do to make it to that next level, to, to market myself where I can maximize my profits. And I think Floyd has mastered that. As far as the fight is concerned, they were fighting two minutes. Uh, Floyd in the first round was taking his time, you know, he's just filling things out. Second round, he began to stalk down, dangerous down more. And then the third round, he began toying with him. So first round, he filling him out. Second round, he's moving forward. Next round, he's doing a little bit different stuff each round. And then it was kind of like that from third and fourth round. And then round five is when the master began. Floyd began to beat his opponent like a drum. He was beating him so bad that one time he threw a hook, he missed. And he gave a look that he was surprised that he missed. And I was like, man, this dude is putting on a show. And then the sixth round, that's when he started playing with the crowd. He started, you know, messing with them. And then in between rounds, that's when he walked over there, took the car from the ring car girl, did her job for it. After he gave it back, then he started dancing with her. And then also in the sixth round as well, this was hilarious. One of the commentators said something about, that's what Floyd does well. And so Floyd turned around and said, yeah, I do do that. And they just started laughing and having a good time. So it was just a full, all-out show, you know what I mean? Showmanship galore. Um, round eight, which was the last round, he ended up digging a body shot. Dangerous Don Moore, he dropped him. I almost knocked him out. Master class performance, you know, in an exhibition match. He never sat down throughout the whole fight. Barely broke a sweat at 45. He still looks sharp, has reflexes out the wazoo. He has the highest of high boxing IQs and high boxing acumen. You know, he's basically just a defensive genius. I didn't look at the punch stats. And I don't even know if punch stats are available for this fight. I don't know if he landed a punch, to be honest with you. Now, um, the last couple of things that I'm going to say about the GOAT is this, is that what I recognize about him, in order to make it to the level that he's made it to, is that this gentleman is very, very self-aware. Now, he's talking about, I'm hoping that he doesn't go to the well too often, <laughs> you know, because it's only so much, like somebody catch you with, with, with something, you know, because he's, he's like, he reminds me of... Um, Martin on that one episode when Martin was, was calling himself the charity boxing champion. You know what I mean? And everybody else, they went into the ring thinking, this is a charity boxing match. We're not really taking it serious. But Floyd gets in there and he's taking it serious. So I don't know if those other guys are getting the memo, but you should get the memo because if you see the other fights that he's fighting against these other fighters in these uh, exhibitions, he's definitely, now he did his physically kind of like he had the bad body and whatnot, but he just has like tremendous stamina, just, you know, even if he doesn't train, you know, as hard as he, he did uh, when he was actually defending championships. Now, what I was gonna say is, is that he's very self-aware and he knows at this particular stage in these exhibitions, who can not fight, you know, not thinking too much of themselves to bite off more than he can chew. 
you know, I think that Canelo was somebody who kind of got a little big headed and like choose to be bold to, to take on that match and thinking that I'm just gonna do what it is I was doing before and not taking into consideration how good B Ball was. And he wasn't as self-aware, he became more big headed, you know what I mean? And I think that Floyd does a really good job of that, especially now, you know what I mean? Putting on a, a masterful show but at, and able to entertain, but at the same time still keep that Mayweather class, you know what I mean? Where you seeing him perform really well and showcasing the skills. And I thought he had that on full display. What I saw yesterday was Paul Ryan getting 165 curtain calls in 1988 in Berlin, Germany. To me, this was Michael Jackson at the Pasadena Auditorium on May 18, 1983. His performance, you know, when he was doing the moonwalk on several occasions, you know, at the Motown 25 year anniversary. This to me was Pablo Picasso painting uh, Geneva in Madrid, Spain back in 1937. Master performance, one of the greatest fighters of all time. Salute to Floyd Money Mayweather. It was that to you, man? As <laughs> <laughs> you compare Floyd exhibition, I understand if you compare him at his height. I, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Floyd is Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, all that. But did you compare his exhibition that you saw yesterday to Michael Jackson moonwalking for like the first time at Motown's 25th anniversary in night, what, 1983? I did. I'm talking about the performance, the whole theatrics of it, like just putting on a masterful performance, doing everything possible to entertain the crowd, you know, leaving, you know, the crowd, you know, excited and, 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 and wanting more. You know what I mean? That's That's what I'm talking about. Not necessarily... You know, that type of performance to me was when he fought against Diego Corrales, if you will, when he like just shut down Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, that, that's, you know, as far as like skill-wise, what he did at the height and peak of his powers, that was on that level. But as far as just a total performance, you know, an event, you know, to sit back and enjoy one of the best of the best, I thought he did a wonderful job. So again, shout out to TBE. Matter of fact, if you want, if you don't mind, fellas, we might need to do it. A ten count for the great performance though. No, I'm just no, no, no. Oh man. Now the last thing that we want to discuss is this. You know, you got the big fight coming up next week with it looks as though Gervonta Tank Davis will be leaving Mayweather promotions after this fight that he's gonna have next week against Roby Romero. Guys, if you don't mind, you know, can you give us your final thoughts on your prediction for the fight that's coming up next week. Before you say that, now, the way Floyd was beating up on Don Moore yesterday, he may have been taking out the fact that Javante is leaving him. Only he said, I had to do this on somebody. So that's But <laughs> well, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen next week? I think Raleigh can, can, can drink two big pots of coffee and he's still going to sleep, man. It, it, he, he's going to sleep. The, the, the question is when and how. And like, is he going to go to sleep on his side with his thumb in his mouth? Is he going to go to sleep looking at the, the, the lights? Is he going to go to sleep face down? Is he going to go to sleep standing up in the corner? But he's going to sleep. And one of the things I noticed about, you know, I, I, I did check out the All Access. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. You know, as the uh, Showtime is trying to promote this fight, Tank, whenever I see Tank, he's taking it, you know, he's calm. He's like, whatever. 
but he's taking it serious. He's training. Whenever you, they show him, he's sweating. And they, whenever they show Raleigh, the dude's just, just, just uh, you know, talking, you know, you know, cursing up a store, the same way he's going to do the tank. I'm not going to do this. But I never see him really train outside of showing some slow motion, him jogging. I don't see him training hard. I don't see him mentally taking it serious. Like, this is the biggest fight of my career. And it's like, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of concerning that someone has the biggest fight of their life, something that most fighters don't normally get. You know, it's a lot of lightweights that probably want to be in that ring with Tank Davis. And he's like, whatever, like he's not taking it that serious. And, and, and another thing that I noticed is that when you look at his peers and how they view him or how, how they view this fight going, it's like they don't even like take him seriously. So it's like, it, and I understand boxers, they don't always like each other. They don't always get along, with, with, what have you. But most boxers, even if they hate another boxer, they, they at least take them somewhat serious. Like, I, I don't see his peers even taking them seriously. And that's kind of concerning to me. And, and, and you know what? Uh, I hate to do this, you know, because I got to do this to my twin. But she made a comparison that kind of hurt me a little bit. She compared the way – she compared Raleigh Romero. She put him in the same sentence. And I'm not saying the way he fights or anything like that. But she put him – she used Raleigh Romero in the same sentence – but Prince Nassim Hamed. I'm like, you can't, you can't disrespect the Prince like that. I know sometimes, you know, Raleigh might sound like him in, in some ways, but the Prince backed this stuff up, you know? So I'm calling my sister out publicly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I see I see Tank Davis putting Raleigh Romero to sleep within three rounds. It's probably gonna happen in the third round. I think he's gonna, he's gonna give Raleigh a chance to, to throw some shots at him. Uh, and once they don't do anything, Tank's putting him to sleep. Probably might, might be knockout of the year. Yeah, I'm just glad this is a decent enough card overall. But the better question is, yeah, what, what round is Tank putting this guy to sleep in? I'm going to go three as well. I don't think it'll be sooner than that. I could see it being maybe after that, but the likelihood is not great. So I think Tank puts him to sleep in three. Yeah, you know, that's the likely outcome. You know, you got uh, Tank. You know, come in at 26-0 with 23 KOs. Rally is 14 wins with 12 KOs. Probably a little bit taller, you know. But in this fight, what still amazes me is how they were able to market this and pull this off with little to no complaints, you know. But that's with Roley running his mouth. And, you know, Tank has been really sitting back and letting Roley promote the fight. And he's actually turning out to be the good guy in this situation. And it just, it baffles me because Tank, and I'm not taking a dump on him, but he's been championed long enough where you would think that he wouldn't be, you know, taking on like a circus type fighter, you know, in Roly Romero. It just, it, it baffles me. Like this stage of your career, you should be like trying to take on the best. But obviously things have changed, you know, not just in boxing, but just in sports in general where people don't really care about that as much, especially when they like people. But this is really a mismatch, like I said, gigantic proportions. This is probably a little trying at first for Washington General. This is just that first week of football where you'll see somebody like the Alabama uh, Crimson Tide. They play the Lafayette Razor Cajuns. You know what I'm saying? You see the score is 86 to 6. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is that type of gap between talent. You know, when I look at Roley, you know, although he's physically strong and obviously he has power, 
he just telegraphs his punches way too much. You know, he telegraphs him against the limited fighters that he's been facing. He telegraphs his shots when he's hitting the mitts. He telegraphs his shots when he's hitting the bag. He has his chin up in the air. And he's been hurt by those limited level opponents that he's faced. I've seen him hurt against A.B. Sparrow. I've seen him hurt a little bit against Jackson Martinez. And those guys don't pack nearly the punch as a Tank Davis. And they're not as accurate as a Tank Davis. They can't run you into shots like a Tank Davis. They don't have the uppercuts as a Tank Davis. They don't have the speed of Tank Davis. They don't have the power, the athleticism. And so this is just going to spell disaster. I have it more so between rounds one and three. I, I, I can't see. With only thing, Tank starts off slow a little bit, but I just can't see him. He's going to be getting hit too flush. And he doesn't. And once he gets hit with that shot, he's talking all that talk. He, he's saying all that. But once he gets hit in the mouth, you know what I mean? He's not going to know what to do. You know what I'm saying? And, and once he doesn't know what to do, he's going to be doing some weird stuff. And I think he's going to end up running to something else as well. Or that one shot may do it, do him in. But um, like I say, man, this Nagasaki, Hiroshima, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think the last thing I'm going to say is that they're going to end up calling Tank. He's going to be on the, like, terrorist list, you know what I'm saying? So after the fight, they're going to be calling the young Tank Gaddafi. You understand what I'm saying? So that's all I got, man, between rounds one and three, and I'm leaning a little bit closer to one. Anything else you guys have before we wrap things up? Not on that note, but on another note, I just wanted to wish, I guess this is like retirement month or something, but I wanted to wish happy retirement to Jamel Herring. You know what I mean? He decided to retire after his fight. Didn't go the way he wanted to yesterday. And he said he didn't want to keep doing that to his body and keep doing that to his family. So, you know, he has nothing to be ashamed of and he had a great career. So happy retirement to you. Salute. Yeah, salute, you know. Uh, yeah, he's one of those guys, you know, a veteran who's seen war, you know, made the best of his career. All the fights didn't necessarily go the way he, he probably wished it, it to go, but he made it, as, you know, as far as he could and, and did some, you know, pretty great things. Not everyone can say that they've been a, a world champion and also a veteran because, you know, most <laughs> most uh guys who are dedicated to something else they don't always make great boxers you know but you know he did what he could do uh hopefully he enjoys the retirement i think he's like what 36 years old yeah just just you know happy retirement hopefully hopefully he he can go off into the sunset and not and not come back and put his you know health at risk hopefully he made enough money that he can go home and enjoy his kids and enjoy his family for sure you will you see what i like about him um I think more so than anything else. I thought that it was limits to what he could do in the ring, but at the same time, he maximized the skills that he had to become a world champion. So I, my hat goes off to him, you know, when it comes to that. But more so than anything else, I don't know him, but just the times that I've seen him speak, you know, he's just such an eloquent guy. He's, he seems like, like such a genuine person. And so that's what I'm going to remember more so from Jamel Aaron than the actual fighter himself. You know what I mean? He's always, like, self-aware, too. You know, he recognized, like, if he's fighting somebody who, like a, a Shakur, and, 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 you know, compliments on their talent, compliments him on his talent, and just being aware of the skills that he brought to the table. And, you know, we just, like I said, just seemed like a genuinely good, good person. So, you know, 
And I, I think that he should be okay. You know what I mean? As far as it's, it's other things that he can do. He just seemed like he, the sky's the limit for him. If he wants to commentate, if he wants to like get him a fighter or two, you know, to train or whatever it is, you know what I mean? He has that military background. So I'm sure that that's going to help him, you know, position himself to do other things. So he shouldn't have to come back unless he just has a hitch to do so. But he was trying to move up at that 135 pound weight class and that wasn't going to work out well for him, especially at this stage of his career. He doesn't have the power in his punches to be able to like hang in there with those guys. And I just think that skill wise, most of those upper echelon dudes are just more skilled than him. So again, I don't think it's going to end well. And so I'm happy that he was aware enough, he was self-aware enough to recognize it was time to go. Anything else you guys have before we wrap things up? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of uh, jealous of, of Raleigh Romero because I'm a person that struggles with insomnia and he don't get some good sleep next week, man. <laughs> I wish I could get that sleep too. Man. Hey, you go pick on the wrong person. You might get to some of that sleep. There's <laughs> <laughs> just certain ways. I, I wouldn't want that type of sleep. Because if you're going to wake up, your head going to be hurting, you know what I'm saying? And all the time you're in the hospital, tubes and stuff hanging out. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, hopefully it'll be a better fight than I'm anticipating. Uh, but it's only one way to find out. No skull is going to get it on next week. And uh, we look forward to talking to you about it. On that note, we out. Have a great week. Peace. Peace.